This morning we're looking at the prophet Elijah, and here's the background. In uh, chapter 18 of Elijah, there's been a great contest on Mount Carmel between the 450 false prophets of Baal and Elijah, the prophet of, of the true God. And so Elijah wins the battle, and all the false prophets die. And this is the aftermath, but it also leads to a passage we looked at earlier this spring, where on the mountain of God, God will speak to Elijah in a still, small voice. So between that Mount Carmel and the mountain of God, this is what happens in chapter 19, beginning in verse 1. Now, King Ahab told Jezebel, All that Elijah had done and how he killed the 450 false prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a message to Elijah saying, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like the life of one of those, meaning one of those that he had killed. So Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. He went to Beersheba in Judah. And left his servant there. And then he traveled another day's journey into the wilderness. And he came to a broom tree and sat down under it and prayed that he might die. He said, I've had enough, O Lord. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors who have gone before me. And he laid down under the broom tree and fell asleep. And then an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. And as he looked around his head, there was a loaf of bread cooked over hot coals and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and then laid back down under the broom tree and went to sleep again. The second time, the angel touched him and said, get up and eat or else the journey will be too much for you. So he got up and he ate and drank and strengthened by the food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights. To Horeb, the mountain of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. I don't know if you've ever seen a broom tree. You can find it easy enough on the internet. Or if you go to Israel, you'll see broom trees everywhere in uh, the desert. And they vary in size, but most of the time they're hardly large enough to even give you shade for your head. And Elijah finds such a broom tree. Have you ever seen one? I, I, I saw one. Actually, I saw one in my bedroom 10 years ago. Now, it wasn't hallucinating. By broom tree here, I mean it's metaphorical. About 10 years ago, I came to the place where Elijah came where I just said, you know, I've had enough. I quit, God. Just get rid of me. Use somebody else. It was November 1st, 2004. And I woke up, and instead of jumping out of bed and getting ready and going right to work at the office, I sat there in bed and thought, geez, you know, it'd really nice, be nice to be sick right now and be in the hospital, but not so sick that I would die. And I thought, you know, maybe people could come visit me for a change. And then, you know, I remembered that a couple days earlier, I'd been in a discussion of a large church pastor group that I'm in. And one of the pastors had talked about his recent heart attack. And in the aftermath of his recent heart attack, his church told them, you are not allowed to work any more than two mornings a week plus Sunday morning, and let's take care of everything else for you. And I thought to myself, dang, you know, except for the heart attack part, that sounds pretty good. You know, I'd never been that way before. But in that moment, 
I was under a broom tree. Have you ever been there? Been at such a low place. And, and I don't want to say you're depressed because depression is a clinical uh, diagnosis. I'm, uh, a friend of ours and, uh, and one of the colleagues on our staff, Chris Estes, uh, works with recovery ministry. He likes to use the phrase lowered feelings. So have you ever been to that place of lowered feelings? Or maybe you were burned out. Remember burnout? 1970s, it got introduced by Herbert Freudenberger to uh, discussion of, so, of sociologists and psychologists. And one of the things they found is that symptoms of burnout really in some ways mimicked uh, symptoms of depression. Maybe you've been there. Or maybe you've just been in great despair and wanted to give up. How do you know when you're under a broom tree? Well, maybe you're at a low point. But I think when we look at Elijah, there are a few other things that identify it. One of the things is Elijah cannot see other people. He cannot see God. He can only see himself. His focus is just on himself. And in later conversation that I didn't quote, he says to God, I'm the only one who cares. I'm the only one who's working at this. And so there's that focus uh, that's just self-centered. It's just about you and about what you can or can't do. Uh, and Elijah finds himself in that. And I, and I tell you, 10 years ago, that, that, you know, I woke up that morning. I thought, well, I'm the only one who really cares. I'm the only one really trying. What, and, and you have that. And the problem is when you see only yourself, you don't see other people, you don't see God, and you miss what we call the great commandment, the Shema. You forget all about loving God. You forget all about loving others. One of the things scholars do with this passage, which is really fascinating, Moses is, uh, represents the law in the Bible, and Elijah represents the prophets. And if you look, there's a lot of similarities. But th- their lives track in very similar ways. Uh, both of them win great victories. Uh, Moses over Pharaoh and his forces, and, and Elijah over the false prophets of, of, of Baal. They have great victories. They spend time in the wilderness. Uh, they get personally cared for by God. They meet God and hear God's voice on a mountain. But what scholars say is there's a part at which Moses and Elijah deviate from each other. And that's the point at which Moses is always concerned about his people. And Elijah reaches a point at this stage that he's only concerned about himself. It's all about him and what he can or can't do. And when you get to that point, you're under a broom tree. When, when you uh, can no longer see God or others and you only see yourself. Or another way to say it is you only focus on the past and its perceived failures and you miss the opportunities that are in front of you. Opportunities that still God may yet have for you, but all you can see is the past. And no matter what the past looks like, you're willing now to write it off and describe it as a failure. It's amazing that he's just won a miraculous battle and, and uh, defeated 450 of the enemies single-handedly. And he thinks he's a failure. He says, look, I'm no better than anybody else. He's taken victory and now perceiving it and uh, reimagining it as defeat. And when um, all you do is focus on the past and see that it hasn't been as successful as you'd like, you know you're moving under the broom tree. Interestingly, uh, about 10 years ago when when this uh, broom tree happened to me, uh, I had I had uh, been in that, that pastor's meeting a couple days earlier, and we were talking about stuff, and, and we had just come off on our 10th anniversary of moving into this building, an effort to raise money for Riverside, and we raised like a quarter of a million dollars to help Riverside get rolling and get started. Uh, but I wanted more money than that. Uh, I thought they needed more, and so for me, that looked like a defeat on top of the mountain, not a victory. And I remember one of my colleagues saying to me, said, David, let me walk this 
through with you again. You had no money. Now you have a quarter of a million dollars. And that's a bad thing. But you take what has been in the past and, and you turn it into failure even if it were success. And so what if it was failure? Proverbs 24 says the thing about a righteous person, 24, 16, is a righteous person falls down and gets up seven times, which, as you know, seven is a symbolic number, which is just about as often as it takes. The thing about the righteous is they're not holier than we are. They just keep getting back up. Winston Churchill put it this way. He said, you know, success in life is just a matter of moving from one failure to another without losing enthusiasm. Yeah, so, but Elijah's lost his enthusiasm. He's turned victory into defeat. And when you start to do that, you know you're under that, that tree. And, and you miss the future opportunities as well as you miss that failure is, is only a, just a step on a journey. I don't know if you noticed a couple, a couple weeks ago on the Internet, uh, there was kind of a Harry Potter update and J.K. Rowling had released something. And now we know Harry Potter's married, a couple kids and, and all, all that stuff. But it made me think about J.K. Rowling for a minute. And do you know that the first 12 pe- publishers she sent Harry Potter to rejected it? Twelve. Failure to failure without loss of enthusiasm. The ability to move from the past and focus on what still might be there. And when you're, when you're under the broom train, you just can't do that. And I'd also say not only is your focus just self-centered and, you're, and on the past, you, just, you tend to focus on the circumstances and you get overwhelmed by them. You, uh, you, you look at the size of the enemy and you don't look at the size of God. You, you, and you just draw the wrong conclusion. Um, a friend of mine was talking about being overwhelmed years ago. In the 1970s, he played football for Rice. And he was telling me about some of their uh, schedule over a couple-year period uh, when he had moved from the offensive line to defensive line. And he, and he said, you know, they had road trips to um, LSU and Notre Dame and, and Texas. And, he, and I can't remember which place it was, he said. But every one of those places, they said, we were so outnumbered, and the offensive linemen were so much bigger than we were on our defensive line. It was just a complete mismatch. He said, I remember uh, one of my teammates was um, uh, trailing a play near the sidelines, and he got knocked down by an offensive tackle that weighed like 80 pounds more, floored him. And he's by the sidelines, and the defensive line coach for Rice is sitting there watching it happen. So, you know, the good lineman, give it the college, old college try, he's going to get up and get back into play. And the coach looked at him and said, don't get up, he's still there. Now that's overwhelmed. You know, when you get that sense that the enemy is so big and what I have is so small, you know you're under a broom tree. And you're not seeing things realistically. Later, God will, will tell Elijah, you're not the only one. i got 7,000 more that are still in this fight. Well, that's how a diagnosis dose it. What do you do with it? It seems to me that normally there are a couple options when we get to that point of being that overwhelmed and that much despair. One is you just do what I wanted to do 10 years ago. You just quit. I'm not going in today. I'm not going in tomorrow. I don't know if I'm ever going in again. Elijah said, just kill me now. I'm no better than my ancestors, and just throw in the towel. And it happens, and I am not picking on anybody who does that. I have been there. I wanted to do that. Um, a friend of mine was pastoring years ago a small church, and they had a Sunday school teacher for the third and fourth graders who was extremely faithful. Every Sunday she was there, every Sunday, except Easter Sunday, because they didn't have children's Sunday school that day. And he said one day he got up Sunday morning, and he went to unlock the front door of the church, and um, the Sunday school teacher had left her teacher's book, her roll book, 
by the front door of the church with a note that says, I quit. I just can't handle this class anymore. And she left. I mean, I understand that. These are third and fourth grade boys. It was a tough class. And that's an option, and people choose it. But there are other options, too, and, and I've tried this one. Some people, you know, when they really feel overwhelmed and, and almost at the end of their rope, they'll figure the problems with them. They've just got to try harder. You can already see where this may lead. Uh, as people have said, when you're digging a hole and you try harder, all you do is dig it deeper. Sometimes we do that. Uh, about a decade um, before I reached a, a kind of a low place here, I, I was at another church and also just uh, struggling and decided the problem was me. I needed to work harder. So I was like gone every night of the week except Friday nights, trying to call on people, trying to do this, trying to do that, trying to do the other. Bad for me, bad for my kids, bad for my wife, bad for the church. But that was the response. I thought, well, it must be me. I, must, I need to jump in harder. I need to get back up. Let them hit me again. And, and sometimes we choose that option. You know, all of my kids um, um, played a sport that I'd played um, in high school and college, you know, so I I would watch them with interest. And and when they would start to get overwhelmed in a difficult place in tennis, I would look to see, normally what would happen is one of two things. One, they'd kind of throw in the towel. Well, this person's too good. I'm going to, this is it for me. Or they'd start trying to hit shots and make plays that there's no way in the world they could ever make. They kind of jump back in and go too hard and too far. And and those, those things can happen. But here I want to tell you today that I think Elijah is shown by God a third way. And let me set this up with with this quote. Um, As I mentioned, uh, Chris Estes is our our pastor that works with recovery, has a recovery group here on Friday night, has recovery at Asbury Saturday, and a large one at Haven for Hope on uh, Tuesday night. And every once in a while he tells us something that his AA sponsor, Ben, who in all of his years of experience has learned, will pass on to him. So the other day he gave us a quote from Ben, so I'm going to... This is for free. I'm going to toss this out for you. This is from Ben. Ben says, when you're depressed, get up and do something. If you're confused, do nothing. Then Ben says, if you're depressed and confused, go take a nap. Ben's on to something. Ben's on. Look at the story. What what happens again? Elijah takes a couple of naps and God allows it. Twice God allows Elijah to sleep, then wakes him up with an angel and says, get up and eat. Get up and eat. John Ortberg, um, a wonderful pastor, put it this way. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do in life is take a nap. You know, sometimes just rather than to quit or throw yourself back in even harder without thinking it through and praying it through, it's just maybe pull back and rest. And then Elijah is told, and eat. And, and I don't necessarily mean this uh, physically. If A lot of us, if every time we had lowered feelings we ate a lot it wouldn't be healthy for us but i think what one of the things it means to me is uh, to begin to take advantage of those things god's put right in front of your face sometimes it's other people sometimes it's prayer sometimes it's worship sometimes it's the scripture sometimes it's an opportunity uh, uh, to spend time with another person who's, who's helpful meaningful but start to look for that take advantage of what god has given you before you jump back in. See, the turning point in the story, and everybody is clear, scholars, everyone looks at it, the turning point is the angel. The angel comes and Elijah is on this downward trajectory from Mount Carmel, and all of a sudden going down, 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 until the angel intercepts him, and now he's back up on his way to Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. And that's what's happened to me. 
I did get up and get dressed on November 1st. I went to work, and one of the first people that met me there was an angel. Uh, lots of angels came my way. Some of you know him, David Reed. And I told him how I felt. I said, you know, I've never felt this way before. I've been doing this 20 years. Uh, I, I just, and so one of the things, we went and did one of those little online depression screenings, and I talked with a health professional and realized I, I wasn't depressed. It was uh, something else. And then he, he and others worked with me to change and rearrange the way I did life. Uh, more rest, uh, rescheduled, less responsibility, less flailing around, more intentional directed movement. And if you look at the bulletin today and notice that every Sunday at different campuses there are different people speaking, I have to tell you, if I hadn't been under the broom tree, that wouldn't have happened because I would have held on to everything with a very tight control. But I figured out, and the angels helped me see I couldn't do that. So when you find yourself at the end of your rope under that broom tree, I'd open your eyes and look around and see if God may be sending an angel. Or maybe ask for your own. Stephen Ministry, wonderful group of angels that come and walk alongside people uh, in difficult times. Call them. Call us. We, we know where some angels are located. And, but look, look, before you quit, before you jump back in even uh, with more energy, look around and see what God may be sending your way. Or it is even possible that maybe God is bringing you a name or face to your mind this morning and you're supposed to be the angel for somebody else. Maybe you're supposed to walk out of here, go intercept the trajectory of someone else's life who wants to quit and throw in the towel in whatever situation they're in, and God's calling you to change their direction. Whether you need the angel, whether you are the angel, let me tell you the bottom line in the story of Elijah is the same, and it is this. God is not finished with any of us yet. No matter how great our victories, no matter how uh, terrible our defeats, no matter how much energy we have or how much energy we've lost, God is not yet finished with any of us. There's always something more that God has for us. Get up and eat, the angel tells Elijah, or the journey will be too great for you. There's a journey that each of us are on and we're not finished. You know, one of the great things about the rabbis and our Hebraic, Hebraic background is, unlike the Greeks and the Americans, they didn't idolize youth. Now, I think it's awesome to be young, and there are wonderful opportunities that, that come with the kind of energy my children have and, uh, and talents. But, but, he, but the Hebrew culture was not built to glorify that. The Hebrew culture noted the contributions and, that people could do at each age. They started with three and went to six, you know, because of the different stops they made in, in the school, synagogue schooling system. Then they started doing it by decade, 20, 30, 40. They went up into the 90s for contributions that people could make at every age. Now, I have to admit to you, they didn't go to 100. So if you get there, well, you're on your own. Figure it out. But they had every age you could make a contribution. There was no retiring from life. There was no God's used me, God's finished with me. That just wasn't a concept they had. Um, some years ago, I, I saw this movie on TV, so I'm not saying this is a true story, but I'm just going to give you the dialogue because I thought it was interesting. The story was, old movie, is about Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr., the, the great uh, jurist, uh, um, associate uh, justice, Supreme Court, uh, became associate justice when he was 61 years old and stayed on the Supreme Court till he was 90. Now, in the movie, I don't know about real life, in the movie, there's a scene in his upper 80s, and he says this to his wife. He says, you know, I wasn't sure I could do this job at my age, but I found that the last 20 years have been the best 20 years 
of my life. Reminds me of another famous guy. You may have heard of him, Branch Rickey. Uh, running the L.A. Dodgers and, of course, most famous for bringing in Jackie Robinson. So a reporter asked him some years later, you know, Jackie Robinson, bring him into Major League. Major League, was that the greatest thrill you ever had in life? They said Ricky thought about it for a moment said, my greatest thrill? I haven't had it yet. And he was in his 80s. Wherever you are, wherever I am, God is not finished with us yet. And there are journeys God still has for us, and God will care for us to get us going on that journey, and we can start on that journey, but we don't have to start today. We could rest and start tomorrow.